Amen. Amen. If you have a little one that would like to go to Children's Church, Miss Kim is ready. And while they're making their way out, let me encourage you to take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. In the Gospel of John, we have recorded seven I am statements in which Jesus gives himself a, a title using the phrase, I am. And in these titles, he is trying to help us understand who he is and, and particularly why we need him, what spiritual reason we need Christ. In each one of these titles, we find a different dimension, if you will, a different angle to our spiritual need and him coming in order to meet that need. I want to quickly just give you those seven this morning on the screen so you can see where we're going over the next few weeks. The first one is uh, we'll look at today in John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. That's where we'll be this morning. And then in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 7, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good Shepherd, And then we find in 1125, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Spoiler alert, we're going to move that one down to the end of the sermon. That'll be Easter, all right? I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We know that means no man comes to the Father but through me. And then finally, John 15, 1, we find the last of these I am statements where he says, I am the true Vine. In each one of these statements, Jesus is revealing himself to us even more. He's showing us why he has come and our spiritual need for him. Now, why is it important for us to study these titles of Jesus? Because, brothers and sisters, as we study Jesus, as we stare at Jesus, as we come to know and conform and walk with Jesus, we are, in fact, walking with God. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, that's a title for Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In, uh, that's John 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John chapter uh, 5 verse 43, he says, I have come in my Father's name. In John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. So my hope is, and my prayer, is that as we study the titles of Jesus, we will draw fresh strength in our faith as we walk with him, as we learn about him, as we see him revealed in Scripture. And by walking with Jesus, we will in fact be walking with God. And brothers and sisters, there is no deeper longing for our soul than to be right with God, to walk with the Almighty, to hear him say over us, this is my child. This is the one whom I love and beckon and call. And so my, my desire and my prayer is that as we look at these titles of Jesus, we will be reminded again just how wonderful a Savior we have. Now in John chapter 6, we come to the first title. I am the bread of life, Jesus would say. In fact, he'll repeat that twice in this passage. Allow me, if you will, just to read. We're going to examine several verses, but let's read verses 35 through 40 to, to whet our appetite towards this text this morning, to get our minds into the text. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing for all that is given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen? Would you pray with me, Father? We thank you this morning that you are the bread of life, that Jesus has come to meet our spiritual hunger. And Father, as we walk through this text, as we see again this title that Jesus gives himself, that he's revealing himself to us, Lord, I pray, my prayer, my heart, is that for the believer in the room, they would, they would be renewed in their faith and, and fresh strength would be given to their soul. Father, I pray for the one who who walked into this building just limping. They are in, a, in the throes of, of some of the hardest days of their life. Lord, I pray this morning you would remind them that you are the bread of life, that you can meet all of their needs, that you will sustain them, and that, Father, there is coming a day where you will raise them up for all eternity. God, I pray for the one that's in desperate need of a fresh crumb for you this morning. Lord, may your word feed them. Lord, I pray for the one who walks in this room that's uncertain in their faith. They're uncertain about Jesus. They're not sure what to believe or how to follow him or what that looks like. Their soul is longing for something more. I pray that through the walking through this text, Lord, by the power of your spirit, you would reveal yourself to them. And they too would come and dine. Lord, I pray that as the church leaves from this place, we would leave rejoicing that we have met the Savior again. And he has renewed us. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Allow me for just a moment to give you some context of the passage. If you have your Bible open, you can look up at chapter 6, verse 1. There's probably an English heading. It'll say, Jesus feeds the crowd or Jesus feeds 5,000. We know this miracle pretty well in our Bible school days, in our reading the Bible days, in our story days, but the miracle works this way. Jesus is on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and this great crowd comes out to him. In fact, there in verse 4, it tells us it's in the season of Passover. So they're, they're beginning to gather in the cities for the Passover, for the celebration of remembrance for what God did for the children of Israel in the book of Exodus when Moses led them out of captivity. So they're gathering for this religious festival. So the crowds in the cities and in the towns would be swelling as people are coming in from the countryside for this religious festival. And the Bible says in, in verses 1 through 14 that the crowd comes out to Jesus and we know that anytime a crowd came to Jesus, he taught them. He gave them the knowledge of truth. He laid on them the good news that he is the Messiah. But the Bible would tell us in verses 1 through 14 that he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, these folks are hungry. Now, I would attend to you that Jesus is Southern Baptist because he understood a potluck right there on the spot. But he says to them uh, uh, that, he, uh, uh, that they're hungry and they need to be fed. And then a discussion takes place between the disciples. Lord, if we're going to feed this crowd, we're going to need a year's worth of salary is what they would come up with in their uh, denarii. We're going to need a whole year's worth of salary. We're going to need every dime we can find from every person. And even if we had that money, trying to go and fetch it from somewhere and bring it back, Lord, we just don't see how this is going to work. And then Philip says, well, I found a boy, and this boy's got a couple of loaves of bread and two fish and and Lord, I, I don't know, but we'll bring it to you and, and we'll see what happens. And the Bible records in those first 14 verses that Jesus looked up to heaven and he blessed the meal and he broke the bread and he passed it out and they took up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now that's my kind of food right there. 
He passed it out and didn't fill up. Look, I'm a father of three. That peanut butter jar empties quick. He passed it out and there were leftovers. There is this miracle of feeding. And the Bible says in verses one through 14, listen to this, don't miss it now because here's the crux of our passage. And they ate till they were full or they had their feel. Now you got to understand, in first century Israel, the peasants and the farmers, it was mainly maybe one meal a day, maybe a, a piece of bread and a piece of fish. You, you didn't eat like we eat in our culture where there's a spread, where there's a meal, where there's a snack, where there's a, a gas station with a Kit Kat around the corner. You, you didn't do that in this culture. So to eat until you were full is certainly not normal to them. And Jesus fed them in such a way that their bellies were And then the Bible records, starting in verse 15, that it became night. And the disciples got in the boats and went across the Sea of Galilee. Your Bible might say Sea of Tiberias. Those are synonyms. He went across the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus stayed behind to pray, as he often does. We learn this from the other Gospels. And then the Bible says that during the night, a storm arose. The disciples are being... If you're reading the King James Version, you might find the word buffeted there. That means tossed to and fro. That means, as my Hebrew professor would say, ah! That's a good translation right there. They're walking, right? And then what does Jesus do? He decides, I got to get over there too. So he begins to walk on the water, right? Walk on the water. We find this story in the other Gospels where Peter looks out there and they say, man, it's a ghost, Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says, well, if it's you, call me to you. And I always like Jesus' reply because I think Peter probably didn't understand what was about to happen when Jesus said, well, come on. Can you imagine Peter rethinking that question? Say, whoa, 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 I was just kidding, Lord. As the kids would say, I was psyching you. I didn't want to go out there. But the Bible says that he walked on water, he got in the boat, and they went to the other side. So in verses 1 through about 21, we have two miracles of Jesus. We have him feeding the 5,000 till they're full, and we have him walking on the water. Now we come to verse 22. Verse 22 is where we'll pick it up this morning. The crowd the next day goes back down to the water. Remember, they're on the other side because Jesus has come across. They come down to the water, and they're looking for Jesus. Look with me at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that uh, there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So then, excuse me, the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples. So they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set His seal. Now we begin into our sermon this morning, and I want to show you a couple of reasons why Jesus is the bread of life. Reason number one, Jesus is the bread of life because he alone fulfills. He alone fulfills. He alone can meet our deepest need. He alone can satisfy what our soul is longing. Now notice with me in the discourse with this group of people. They go across the sea, they get to the other side, they find Jesus there. They're not sure. They don't know about the walking on the water thing that happened during the night. And so they're curious, Jesus, how did you get here? 
But ultimately, all they're doing is starting with small talk. It's kind of like me and you saying, how's the weather? But we know the loaded question is behind it, right? So Jesus does not pander to the crowd. He is not flattered that they followed him across the sea. He is not excited for why they came because the reason why they came, we find there in the chapter. Look with me at the verse, what Jesus says in verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now notice how our Lord does this. The Bible says that the crowd went across the sea and they find Jesus. Now remember, they had eaten their fill the day before. Jesus had given them a belly full of bread. So they went back to find him. They find him and they begin with the small talk. Jesus, how'd you, how'd you get over here? How's the weather? Y'all been doing any fishing, right? Jesus knows exactly what they want. They want more bread for their belly. He cuts straight to the point. He doesn't answer the question that they ask. He answers the question on their heart because the question on their heart is, Lord, what you gonna do for me today? What can I get out of you today? What bread can you give me today? What physical need can you meet today? Lord, help me meet this and this and this. You see, brothers and sisters, they view Jesus as some spiritual slot machine or genie in the bottle. They didn't come across the lake because they were enamored at the fact that he could make uh, five loaves and two fish turn into a multitude. They didn't come across the lake because they knew only God could walk on water. They didn't come because they saw him do miraculous signs and want to worship him and want to worship God. They came because they thought they could get something out of this. Now listen to me now, don't miss this. Brothers and sisters, they came across that shore that day hoping to have their temporal belly filled. And Jesus presses in on them and says, Brothers, I could feed your belly all day long and that won't fix your soul. That won't satisfy your need. That won't meet your longing. The things of this world, notice the word that he says is in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now Jesus is not advocating for not working or not eating. He's simply advocating for the fact that we spend our life lost in sin, seeking the things that will quickly satisfy our flesh. We go after the things that will feed our wants and our desires instead of going after the very God who will satisfy all of our needs. And so they come to Jesus expecting something else. They want some different kind of bread. They want to have their bellies filled. They were moved by their stomachs, not their hearts. They wanted to be filled with superficial things. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not the story of our lives. Do we not seek out everything we can to make ourselves feel good, to feel numb, to meet our needs, to, uh, to drown out the things of this world? And yet the Lord Jesus beckons us and says, all of those things will not last. Only I will give you satisfaction. Only I will meet all of your needs, Christ would say. Only I am the eternal bread of life. Notice verse 29. Then they said to him, what must we do for this works? And Jesus said to him, the works of the God that you believe in him. Now here's the beauty of it. Jesus said, I fed you on the other side of the shore so that you would know I'm from God and I've come to rescue you. And all they cared about was when's the next dinner bell. 
Now let us stop for just a moment. Let's take it aside. Allow me a little pastoral prerogative. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself listening to, following in a ministry, a pastor, a TV preacher from across the world or across the street, if you find yourself listening to a gospel and all they ever promote are the good things of this life and what God can meet you in this life, then brothers and sisters, they have eviscerated the good news of the gospel because I don't need God to meet all my needs in this life. I need God to rescue me from hell and give me eternity. Now, that doesn't mean that our Father doesn't watch over us. It doesn't mean that the Good Shepherd does not meet our needs. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray about our our financial situation or our food or our health. It doesn't mean that God does not care. But if your gospel is only worried about what you can get in this life, that's idolatry, not the good news. And so he says, stop seeking the things of this world. Stop making life about perishable Bread, oh friend, that we would spend our lives not worried about our stomachs and our bellies, but about the Lord Jesus Christ. We would spend our lives this way. Now, now the analogy is, is a little bit lost on us because we don't necessarily live in, in a culture where we're constantly hungry. Though there are many among us in this city, in this county, even in, in the USA, that, that are in poverty and and our need for a meal and looking for a meal. But, but most of us, I dare say, in this room are, are always capable of finding some food. I, I remember when I was in college and, and, and the monthly money would start to run low. And, and in the trailer park in, in Auburn, Alabama, God's country, I, I remember uh, that, that sometimes towards the end of the month that, that the grocery money would run low and the, and the cupboards would get bare. And so we would do the, the trailer park smorgasbord. And so somebody would go look in their freezer and find some chicken nuggets and somebody else would find some, some bacon bits and somebody else would find some shredded cheese and, and I'd plug in the fry daddy and all you got to do is run the oil through a t-shirt and ruse it again, it's fine. And, uh, and, and we would just start eating whatever we could find, but we were never actually out of reach of food. And so in this culture, they thought so much about the next meal. But, but let's just for a moment, let, let's just have a little bit of imagination. You come to seek me for more money. You come to seek me for more health. You come to seek me for a better situation. You come to seek me for a promotion. You come to seek me for all the things of this world. And I've come that you may have life and have it eternal. You see, the conversation is different. I I believe that Jesus is the bread of life because he can only meet, he's the only one that can meet the real need, the eternal need. Jesus is the bread of life because he alone will Fulfill. Let, let me give you a second truth from this passage, and that's simply this. Jesus is the bread of life because he alone is from God. There is no one else sent by God. There is no one else come. Look at verse 27. He picks up this idea in verse 27. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal, that he has the authority of heaven. The seal of God, the stamp of approval, the authority to carry out the words of God are given to him. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do, what must we be doing for the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent. So that they said to them, what sign do you give us? Right? Verse 30. So then they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now they remembered the bread across the way. They said, well, what are you going to do for us to prove it to us? Now, these jokers, I mean, these are some spiritual con artists right here, aren't they? 
Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them bread from heaven, but the Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread God gives who comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. They said to him, excuse me, gives life to the world. They said to him, give us this bread. Now skip down to verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said this, is not Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? Now look down at verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that the one who eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life for the world is my flesh. Now we've got to unpack this a little bit, so just stay with me. Four times in this passage of Scripture, Jesus specifically says, I've come from heaven. He is saying, I've come from God himself. I have come from up above down to you to be the bread of life. And what happens is, is the Jewish people, the crowd begins to grumble and they say to Jesus, uh, Moses, let our people, remember it's Passover, so they're studying Moses in their worship at this time. He says, Moses, when God led Moses out of Egypt, for 40 years they wandered in the desert. And for 40 years, every morning except the Sabbath, God laid manna on the ground for them to collect and eat. He sustained their belly for 40 years, but see, the children of Israel have the story just a little bit wrong. Isn't it funny how when we want something from God, we can make Scripture say what we want it to say. They got the story a little bit wrong. They say, Moses gave us manna or bread. Jesus stops them and says, it wasn't Moses that laid all them graham crackers out on the lawn. It wasn't Moses that put all that dough bread out in front of you. It wasn't Moses that brought that down. It was your father in heaven that gave you that bread. But then he rebukes them even further because he says that wasn't heavenly bread. That was belly bread. That was the bread you eat and swallow. And how do we know this? Because he had to go get it every morning. It perished every day. In fact, if they tried to keep it overnight, it would rot and worms would get in it. It was a way of God showing that he was sustaining their needs in this wilderness. And so every day they would go out and gather the bread and they would eat it. And the next day they would go gather more manna and they would eat it. And God sustained them. And so they look to Jesus and they say, if you're really like Moses, you got to do better than one miracle of feeding us. You got to do so. Show me again. And what does Jesus tell them? You just don't want to believe. You're just hard hearted. You won't come to Jesus until you get your wish list met. Brothers and sisters, you don't get your wish list met when you come to Jesus, right? You get your soul saved. That's a, that's a big difference. And let me let you in on a secret Jesus doesn't need you, He loves you. So we don't stand and demand of Jesus, well, Jesus, I'll be on your team if you'll give me this and this and this and this. Oh, brothers and sisters, we do not look at the king of kings and make demands. We fall on our knees and say, glory, the bread of life has come. This is the call of Scripture. But Jesus is different than the manna given to the, uh, to the Israelites in the desert. Why? Because he did come from heaven. He is different because he's not belly bread. He's soul bread. He's come to meet our spiritual need. In fact, it says in here that he has the seal of God and that he came down, verse 33, that he declares to them he is the true bread, the real bread, the original bread of heaven, that he will fulfill them. Now in verse 41, I want you to notice the objection that they make. 
Listen, the light's starting to come on with some of these Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees that are arguing with him. And if you'll notice, just by way of Bible translation, in all of the passage up till now, it's called the crowd. But in verse 41, it says, so the Jews. This is John's way of saying there was a group in the crowd that constantly went around badgering Jesus. They were the religious elite trying to sway the crowd to their way. And so this religious elite, these Pharisees, these Jews come arguing. Notice what they say in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 42, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now, I like this because they think they've got it. They've pulled out their smartphone. They've Googled Ancestry.com and listed there is Joseph the carpenter and Mary the, the, the mother. And they think to themselves, now, now how can this fool, this magician, Tell us that he is from heaven when we know for a fact his daddy builds furniture just down the street. How can he tell us he's from heaven when we know for a fact we, we have seen his mother just down the street? Now listen to me now because we got to get very serious about the doctrine of incarnation. Listen to me now. Don't, don't miss this. Joseph, in all accounts of Scripture, and there are only a few times where he is mentioned, in all accounts of Scripture, we see him nothing more than an honorable, godly man who did what God called him to do. But we know very clearly that Joseph is not the father of Jesus, for Jesus was not created. He has always been. And he came from heaven, and the Virgin Mary conceived of him by the Holy Spirit, and he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And it is not a prophet that was in that manger. It is not a good man that was in that manger. It is not an angel that was in that manger. It is God in the flesh in that manger. And so when Jesus says, I have come from heaven, he is literally saying to us, I am God to you. God with us. You want to know why ritual and religion won't save you? Because it ain't God. You want to know why a belly full of food won't save you? Because it ain't God. Money won't save you. It ain't God. Reputation won't save you. It ain't God. Tithing won't save you. It ain't God. The only thing that will save you is that which has come down from heaven to rescue us from this fallen and broken world. It is God himself in the flesh. And so he says in the text, I've come from heaven. He is different. In fact, in verse 50 and 51, he reminds us that he is manna from heaven. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. You ever bought a loaf of bread? Man, if you don't eat that thing quick, it'll turn green and start growing antibiotics right there in your pantry, right? It, it, it'll start to move. It spoils. You have, to, you have to throw it out and go buy it again. Why? Because that bread is, is, is not nurturing itself. It's, it's no longer living in itself. It's decomposing. It's dying on your shelf. Some of you are going to go and check your bread right now, aren't you? It's dying on your shelf. But notice what Jesus says about himself. I, I'm living bread. Now, brothers and sisters, why is Jesus so special? Because he comes from heaven. And what does that make him so special? Because he has always been and he always will be and he is living and nothing will destroy him or stop him or conquer him. I, I, I heard a preacher say the other day, we often say Jesus is still on the throne. The preacher said, stop saying still. He's never not been on the throne. He'll always be on the throne. He is Jesus. He is I am. He is God in 
the flesh, and he alone has come from heaven. But I want you to see the last part of this text, and this is the part that will just make you smile from ear to ear. Jesus is the bread of life because he alone can save. Look with me at the passage we read at the beginning, verse 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to talk to you for just a moment about salvation. I want to give you four truths about salvation from this text. Jesus is the bread of life because he alone can save. But I want you to see what he teaches us about salvation. First, I want you to see that he tells us salvation is the will of God. It is the will of God to save us. Someone once asked, why do we talk so much about missions? Why do we talk so much about Annie Armstrong or going on missions or reaching our neighbors or giving away offerings? Because our God is a missional God. Because the Bible is a missional book. It's about God coming to us. It's about God saving us. It's about God rescuing us. If you were to survey this passage, you will see in verse 37, Jesus says, the Father gives me those that he's after. In verse 44, it says, the Father draws those that he's after. In verse 45, it says, they'll be instructed by the word of God. God will give them the message of salvation, which is Christ. Think on it for just a moment. You are saved because God decided to do something. You are saved because God moved, because God willed, because God draws, because God loves. We are in the family of God because he decided to send the bread. This is the beauty of the gospel. Why is this so beautiful? Because, brothers and sisters, I'm not saved because I got it right. I'm not saved because I did some religious tap dance. I'm not saved because I have all of my morals in line. I'm not saved because I have all my T's crossed and I's dotted. I'm saved because God moved on my behalf. God did this. God baked the heavenly bread and sent it down to our table. God moves in salvation. Number two, salvation is the work of Christ. Not only is it the will of God, but it's the work of Christ. How would God do this? How would he carry this out? Verse 51 through 58 tells us very clearly what has to happen. Here is salvation. You want to know how to be saved? Here it is, brothers and sisters. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52, the Jews then dis uh, disrupted among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the, as the living Father sent me, I will live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Now let us for just a moment make sure we understand this, pa this passage. Jesus is speaking completely metaphorically. He's not telling us in any way, shape, or form that we physically eat or drink blood. The Old Testament forbid by law the drinking of blood. 
Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and not to abolish it. In fact, there are some who are in the sacrament world. Some of our Catholic brothers and sisters would say that when you take of the Lord's table, you are eating the physical blood and body of Christ. And that's not true. It's not, it's not scriptural, and there's a couple of reasons why. One, drinking blood was prohibited by the Old Testament law. Two, John 6 is before the institution of the Lord's Supper. This has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. He's not instructing us on the Lord's Supper. It had not come to pass yet. And then three, simply put this way, Jesus is telling us, just as we trust bread, we swallow bread wholeheartedly. Think about it. If you trust the bread and you take a bite and spit it out, it won't do you any good. You trust it, you consume it, you devour it, and it strengthens your body. Is that not salvation? I trust Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. I consume all of my faith in the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone died for me. I put everything I have in believing that his body is my salvation. I dine fully on the fact that he's the only Savior and there is no other. This is the beauty of the work of Christ. We swallow the faith of Christ. In fact, just look at verse 35 because he gives us the answer. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever, what? Believes in me. Salvation is believing in the work of Christ. That he has done this for us, believing that he really died, that he was really buried, that he really rose from the grave, that it was a real, physical, fleshly death. This is the beauty. Truth number three from the text. I want you to see that salvation is received by faith. That's verse 35. But if you go back and look at verse 28 quickly, look with me. Notice what they ask him. Then they said to him, what must we do to uh, be doing the works of God? A little bit earlier in the passage, they say, how can we get this bread? Now, Jesus, you're telling us you're from heaven. You're telling us about this bread. You filled our bellies. We want what you're selling. And what do we got to do? What work do we have to do? They're ultimately saying what ritual, what ritual, what religion, what principle, what act must we do? And then in verse 35, what does Jesus say? That you believe. That you believe. Salvation is not found in rituals or religion or work. It is found in simply in belief. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone looks on the Son and believes in Him has eternal life. Salvation is found in believing in God. Like the great tree that spreads out its roots and grabs the nutrients from the ground and the nutrients feed the tree, the roots are not the nutrients. They are the gift to the tree. It just simply receives it. We receive the gift by faith that Christ and Christ alone is our salvation. And then finally, fourth, I want you to see that salvation is reconciled forever. Now here's the part where we close and we smile. Over and over in this text, Jesus says, I've come from heaven, I'm the bread of life, eat me, dine on me, have faith in me, believe in me, know that I'm gonna die and be buried and raised from the grave for you, come wholeheartedly to me, put all your stock in the meal of Jesus, and then what does he say over and over and over? And the Father and the Father will give you to me, and the Father loses no one. And the Father will raise us up on the last day. So ultimately, brothers and sisters, in just a few minutes, you're going to dismiss from this place. You're going to go home, and you're going to eat lunch. And then you're going to wait a couple of hours and have to eat supper. And then you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and get a snack. 
And then you're going to wake up in the morning and eat again. Why? Because you have to constantly replenish your stomach because the world's food is perishable. But Jesus is from heaven. He is not perishable. He's living. And when you dine on Jesus, you have him forever. And so he declares, all that the Father gives me, I won't lose one. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the bread of life because he and he alone can hold us for all eternity. I won't lose one. There are days where I feel spiritually hungry. Maybe by sin in my own life, I'm, I'm distant from my Lord. Maybe just the circumstances of life, the pain of life, the struggle of life. Maybe the ebbs and flows of the situations that we face. But, but the beauty of the text is simply this. No matter how I feel, my salvation is in that Jesus is doing the will of the Father. And Jesus never, no never, disobeys the Father. And as long as he does the will, which he will for all eternity, rescuing and saving his people, then those who dine on Jesus will be for all eternity rescued and saved and resurrected. And it won't matter how I spiritually feel. It will matter that Jesus has done it for me. This is the beauty of the bread of life. John would say it simply this way, and probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 